good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn tonight to the Psalm 132. Psalm 132, Song of Degrees. Again, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. I swear unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my pit, my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrata. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go down into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. Amen. May God indeed bless his word. I said we're going to focus tonight particularly on the second half of the psalm from verse 10 and following, but we should do so remembering the setting and the theme of the psalm. The psalm was very likely composed by King Solomon as a section of the psalm, verse 8 and 9, repeats almost verbatim prayers offered at the dedication of the temple. Again, you can go back and read those portions in Second Chronicles, and you'll see in the dedication of the temple, there is a repetition of the words of this particular psalm. And thus some suggest this psalm was composed to be sang at the time of the temple's dedication. But in the psalm, as again, we're going to, uh, we're going to take it as a, an assumption that it was written by Solomon. In the psalm, Solomon sets out the passion of his father's heart, the passion of David's heart. The passion that was, in summary, to institute gospel-centered, God-honoring, biblical worship. He expresses the longing he had to bring the ark to Jerusalem. It says there in verse 4 and 5, I will not give sleep to mine eyes until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And even that language of habitation was used by Solomon in the dedication of the temple in Second Chronicles and also in Kings. David longed to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Verse 6 refers to the ark, the it in verse 6 refers to the ark. Of course, the ark that refers, or the ark that was a place where God was present, uh, ties in with verse number 5. He's trying to find a place for the Lord. But the Lord was present with his people in the context of the ark. 
And verse 6 refers to how they found the ark in the fields of the wood. It refers to the finding of the ark in Kirjath Jearim, the city of the woods. The ark where God chose to dwell and meet with his people was to be the center of God-centered biblical worship. Hence verse 7 and 8 says, We will go into his tabernacles, we will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. It's referring to the movement of the ark into the place where it would reside in the, in the temple of Solomon, eventually in the purposes of God. There, upon the ark, God's presence was known, and there the gospel was proclaimed in type. Atonement, forgiveness, was known for the people as the mercy seat on top of the ark was sprinkled with blood. And so in all of these opening verses, we are seeing David's passion to know God's presence in gospel-centered worship. It's one of these psalms that has a, a very particular historical setting, and therefore sometimes we, we find it difficult to, to bring the application to your hearts today. But I showed you last time, and I remind you tonight, that David's passion was for gospel-centered, God-centered, biblical worship. And that should be the desire and the burden and the passion of our souls we should not want our church to be a, a social club. We should not want our church to be a place of, of entertainment. We should want our churches to be a place where the gospel is central and God is central and worship is indeed according to the word of God. And so Solomon prays for God to come and to bless the worship of his people. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest. He's praying for God to come. For God's presence to be the, the crown upon the institution of these uh, biblical patterns for, for God's worship. A passion. A passion for God and a passion for worship will be expressed in prayers like this. And these are the prayers that God's people should be praying. Where God's people gather together to worship according to his word. In that setting, we want God to come. We want to see and meet with God. And again, that should be the burden and the passion of our souls. If we really desire to know God, then we will desire that he comes and blesses the seasons of public worship. And that leads on then to the next section of the psalm. Having noticed this passion for God, I want you to notice in the second place the promise that he pleads the prayer of verse 10 is really a repetition of the prayer of verse 1. Lord, remember David. And then verse 10, For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The prayer to remember David is, I believe, very firmly a reflection of covenantal praying. We saw it in, in recent studies on the, uh, around the Lord's table uh, that God institutes covenants to encourage his people that God remembers them. Uh, the bow in the sky is a reminder to God. Of course, God does not need reminded, but the sense is that we are conscious that God remembers us when we see the sign. The same is true around the Lord's table. And so here, here Solomon is praying, Lord, remember David. It's a covenantal term. And that is even more clear when you read verse 11. The Lord hath sworn. Covenants in the Bible are oath-bound promises. Again, you will see that in all of the covenants, there is a reference to an oath being sworn. 
It's not just a promise. It's a promise with the swearing of a solemn oath. And thus, the prayer in verse number 10, turn not away the face of thine anointed, is really equivalent to the prayer to remember. For God to have his face toward us, that is indeed a prayer for grace. For David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. It is a desire of Solomon, who is the anointed of God, to meet with God face to face, to be in that relationship of grace before God, that God would remember him and show grace towards him, that God's face would be towards him, and that his face would be towards God. That is, that is grace, reconciliation, and again, to be face to face. And thus Solomon is praying for God to bless the desires of David's heart. He prays that David's desires will be realized in his and in his subsequent generations. For thy servant David's sake is also covenantal language. You read in the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 26, about a prayer for Abraham's sake. Or Isaiah 45, for Jacob's sake. These individuals with whom God made covenant, the petition comes for their sakes in light of the covenant made with them. They answer these prayers. So what's Solomon doing? He's, he's praying upon the promise of covenant. David's desire for God-centered worship is seen back in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 is the account of David in the interaction with, with Nathan the prophet. And David's desire to, to build a house for God. David dwells in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in curtains. It's a reference to the tabernacle, of course. But then what happens in the subsequent verses is that God says to David, No, you're, you're not going to build my house. Your son will do that, but I will build your house. And so you have verse 11 through 17. You have multiple promises that God gives to David regarding the kingdom. You'll see in verse number 13. He shall build a house for my name. This is referring to Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. The promise is of the eternal establishing of David's throne. We know from Psalm 89 and from this psalm here that those promises were, were made with an oath. Now, this is God's covenant made with David. It's known as the Davidic covenant. And so you see in Psalm 132 what Solomon is doing here. He is, he is claiming the covenant of promises he, Solomon is the Lord's anointed in that sense of verse number 10. And he's claiming the promises of God. The promises, one, that God covenanted with David. And two, that God chose Zion. Verse number 13, for the Lord hath chosen Zion. And so what I'm just trying to show you now is that this psalm is a very, very particular setting. It is that Solomon is praying and he's praying upon promises. Promises made to David regarding the throne and promises made to David regarding Zion and the choice of Zion to be his rest forever, verse number 14. Let's take the first promise then, the promise made with David regarding the throne. Now you all know that that promise is fulfilled in Christ, the son of David. And you recall the words in Luke chapter 1, the verse number 32. 
and he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So Jesus Christ, who came as the son of Abraham, was also the son of David, and he was given the throne of his father David. And then turn, please, to Acts chapter 2, and the verse number 30. Therefore, being a prophet, referring to David here, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So Solomon is praying over promises made to David, promises that we know are fulfilled in the resurrection and ascension of Christ to the throne of David. Not ultimately fulfilled, in the raising of an earthly Davidic king, but ultimately fulfilled in the resurrection of a heavenly Davidic king. Christ, who as the God-man, is the son of David and ascends to David's throne. God will not forsake his anointed. Hence, this promise is sure. But beyond that, he also says in verse 13 of Psalm 132 that the Lord hath chosen Zion. So Psalm 132, we know, is fulfilled ultimately in the coming and the dying and the rising and the ascending of Jesus Christ. But then you have this promise of God choosing Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Now, Zion is a term for Jerusalem. It refers particularly to the, the situation, the temple, where God chose to dwell and to rest. And you may well ask, well, what of this promise now? God has said he's going to dwell there and rest there forever. Is that a promise of a, an earthly reign in, in a physical, literal Jerusalem? Well, I think the answer is found in the fulfillment of the promise to David. We know emphatically that the oath sworn to David is fulfilled in the risen Christ. And as the promise to David is fulfilled, not in a literal son of David in that sense, but in the Messiah, so the choice of Jerusalem points to the heavenly Zion, points forward in that ultimate sense. You have a hint of that in the, in the second Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. We know that refers to Christ because Acts 13 quotes Psalm 2 in reference to Christ. And so here is Jesus Christ sitting upon the holy hill of Zion, but he's doing that in a heavenly reign, a heavenly session. So the promises of Psalm 132 regarding David and Zion inspire Solomon's prayers, but they should also inspire our prayers. Because they are fulfilled in the risen Christ and they are fulfilled in the heavenly reign of Christ. Our hope of God answering the prayer, Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, verse 8. Our hope of God answering that prayer, of coming to us in worship, is grounded upon these promises. Scriptural prayers are always grounded upon the promises of God. That is what true prayer is. It's pleading God's promises and our prayers for blessing are for the sake of David, of his covenant, and how those promises are fulfilled in Christ. So turn please now to Acts 15. 
Again, I appreciate there's a, a technicality to this psalm. It's a, it is something that, again, has a very particular setting. It has a particular fulfillment. And you say, well, well where does it apply to us? Well, it applies to us in that we see the fulfillment of this psalm in the reign of Christ and in the extension of the heavenly Zion. Look at verse uh, number 13 of Acts 15. Acts 15, of course, is the chapter that deals with the Jerusalem Council, the discussion regarding Gentiles. Did they need to be circumcised to be part of the church? And verse 13 says, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that is Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, referring to the uh, conversion of Cornelius and his household, to take out of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. So James is acting as the, the moderator of the council, and he's bringing the summary, and he's going to apply the word of God to the deliberations regarding the Gentiles. And he says this, After this I will return. And will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. He's quoting Amos 9. And in the quotation of Amos 9, he's referring to the promise of the tabernacle of David being built again. This is before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And so what James is saying is that the promise made through Amos regarding the rebuilding of David's tabernacle is fulfilled in the days before the destruction of Jerusalem. And he explains how it's fulfilled, verse number 17, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. It is in the conversion of Gentiles that the promise of the rebuilding of David's tabernacle is fulfilled. In other words, David's tabernacle is rebuilt in the coming of Christ Jesus to die and to rise again and to go to the throne of David. And in that context, Christ says, All power is given unto me. Go ye therefore into all the world. And the commission of the gospel unto the Gentiles is the outworking of Christ fulfilling the covenant made with David. And these are vital principles to understand because that is still happening today. Christ still reigns upon the throne of David and the Gentiles are still being gathered in. We pray for Kenya and Nepal and Australia, lands full of Gentiles. And they're being gathered in because the promises made to David, mentioned in Psalm 132, are still being fulfilled in the ingathering of souls into what is known as Zion. Now let me put this all together by turning you to Hebrews chapter 12. It says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion. Not the physical Mount Zion that Solomon mentions, but the Mount Zion that points forward, as the rest of the verse says, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. And he, he describes those who are, who are in this heavenly city. The general assembly, the church of the firstborn. To God, he is there. The spirits of just men made perfect, they are there. Jesus is there. His blood speaks better things than that of Abel's there. 
All of these things are, are gathered in the, in, the, in the Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And in that context, the warning comes that they would not refuse God's voice. Again, the warning in Hebrews uh, against turning away from God. But what I want you to notice is, verse number 28 says this, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. If you've got a kingdom, you've got a king. And the king is Christ, fulfilling the promises to David, thereby sitting upon the throne of David, having a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. So why does that tie into Psalm 132? Well, Psalm 132 is a prayer for God to bless biblical gospel-focused worship. And what do you find here? You find a prayer. Let us have grace. For what? Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And the word serve there is the regular word for worship. So in light of God's promises to David, fulfilled in Christ, in light of God's choice of Zion, fulfilled in the heavenly kingdom, we now have the right to pray for God to give us grace that we may serve him with reverence and godly fear. So the particular setting of Psalm 132 develops through history into the coming of Christ, into the gathering of his kingdom under his reign, of which we are part. And we then pray, Arise, O Lord, come into your rest. We who impart in a local context, picture the heavenly Jerusalem. We desire for God to come, that we would serve him, worship him. Not carelessly, but properly, with the gospel as our focus. We worship him with reverence and with godly fear. And so I'm trying to ground your interpretation of Psalm 132 in how it's properly fulfilled in the coming and the reign of Christ so that when we will see this is fulfilled in Christ we then will claim the promises that then come at the end of the psalm because of the last thing I want you to see we even know it's the passion and the promise I want you to see the prospects of David's heritage expected for Solomon continues to expand and explain the blessings to be expected. Verse 15 through 18. Four verses containing eight stanzas, eight promises. And these promises that, that were experienced in part in Solomon's day. But as David points to Christ and Zion points to the heavenly kingdom, so the promises point forward to those that are enjoyed in the gospel age. And therefore you have the promises. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Oh, we are poor and needy. We are hungry and we're starving. Do you feel your soul starving for nourishment spiritually? You can take this prayer. You said you'll satisfy me with bread. Of course, Christ, who is the bread of life, he who comes and gives nourishment to our souls, we claim this promise. This is very, very practical. I don't know how you feel spiritually now, but I guarantee there are some in this room and you are starving spiritually. You feel you have no nourishment, no growth in your soul. Here's a promise to pray. Lord, you said you'd satisfy your poor with bread. Satisfy my soul with the bread of Christ and the gospel today. Where do you find that bread? You find that bread in the book of God, the book of Christ. 
and there you feed upon Christ and your soul is nourished. But God's promised to give you that bread. You have the promises of verse 16. I will clothe her priests with salvation. Now, does that not point out, of course, to our eternal robes? We have the right wedding garments to be received at the wedding of the Lamb. But even now, we're clothed as priests of God. We are all a kingdom of priests. We're in this kingdom as priests. And therefore, we're clothed with salvation. We enjoy the garments of salvation. We're not in our rags of sin anymore. We're given the clothes of salvation. And we stand acceptable before God because of those clothes. Therefore, our sins shall shout aloud for joy. We rejoice in the Lord. Oh, yes, it will be true forevermore. We will know those pleasures that are found at God's right hand. In the eternal state, we will shout aloud for joy like never before. But if you're miserable today, if you're miserable in your soul, you can take this promise. You have said your saints shall shout aloud for joy. I haven't shouted for months. I haven't rejoiced in my God for months. Here's a promise that you can plead before God. You have said this would be so. May it be so in my soul. You have the promise of verse 17. There will I make the horn of David to bud. The budding horns are reference to power. The horn speaks of the horn of the animal that shows the power of the animal. Perhaps the stag and the, the horn that buds that shows succession and progress. It is a promise of David's kingdom to advance and progress. The power of Christ reigning. And so in a similar fashion, there is a lamp for his anointed Christ. He is the anointed of God. There's a lamp for him. Christ's glory shines forth in the gospel. These promises are, are being fulfilled and we can claim them. Lord God, we desire Christ to be a lamp in this place. You've said it be so. Where is the lamp you've ordained? May it come to the house of God here. And then we would see Christ Lord's day by Lord's day. And then you see the closing promise of victory. His enemies will they clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. Oh, true in part in Solomon's day. True in reality now. Christ is reigning. True, of course, eternally. When the enemies of Christ are cast out. These are your promises to pray before God to argue in a reverent and a holy fashion with God you have said you will do this do it for thy name's sake thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of let the bible speak from malvern free presbyterian church we extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.